go have, have a seat and check out this video. Good morning, everyone. So good to uh, have you here this weekend. I was going to mention, Eric, real quick before you run off the stage, this is no longer just Eric Radecki. This is Dr. Eric Radecki as of this week. It's official. Now, he started putting that title out there before the ceremony, but now that it's official, Dr. Eric Radecki, we're happy for you. And up oh, COVID, okay. Well, congratulations to you on your uh, degree. And... Uh, he will continue to serve us very well with uh, all the, the work he's invested. Uh, I want to mention real quick, and I usually don't mention stuff at the front of my sermons if you're new, uh, I just want to mention one opportunity that's coming up. Next weekend, on July 8th and 9th, it's a Friday night at 6 p.m., and then Saturday morning at 10 a.m., we are gonna, our young people are going to pack 21,000 meals for uh, helping folks in Ukraine. And uh, if, if uh, you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, we want to encourage you, uh, if you have some young people, uh, bring them and let them participate in that packing event. There's two different times. You can come Friday night or Saturday morning, whatever fits your schedule best, for an hour or so. And uh, our church is also covering the costs of the food that we're preparing. And so uh, I think the cost is like $7,000, and uh, we need to raise quite a bit of money for that expense. But if you would like to help that way, uh, you can go to our website, go to the Give page, uh, lakesidechristian.com slash give, and you can select special offering. And if you'd like to give like a serious gift toward that food need, that would be awesome. But, uh, but we do want to be a blessing as a church, and there's a very critical need uh, obviously there. And so uh, anyway, uh, make the most of that opportunity if you would. Uh, we've been talking in this series about what it looks like to walk with God. Now a lot of times that gets conflated with being religious. You know, I check these particular religious check boxes. I attend worship. Maybe I volunteer. I tithe. I do this thing. I do that. That's not what we're talking about. What does it mean what does it look like for a person to turn their entire life over to God? Uh, we like the idea of God being a savior, but we're talking about God also being like the Lord of our life. What's it look like for him to shepherd us daily? And not just in my Sunday church realm life, but my whole life. What's it look like for him to be Lord over my body, of my plans, my aspirations, my choices? What's it look like for God to be Lord in my personal life with my talents, maybe my abilities, my public life, my relationships, my family, in my career, over my finances, my time? There's no way to exhaust all the different areas, but 
King David is saying something to us. We've been looking at Psalm 23 and just kind of breaking it down and applying it to our lives in a deeper way than we normally do. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And you can also think of it as, the shepherd is my Lord. The earliest Christians would confess, Jesus is Lord. It was a way of announcing, not that you're religious, but that you have a vital, life-giving relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus, and that the Lord tangibly leads your life and guides you. Uh, maybe stronger language. He governs you. Even stronger, he reigns over your life like a shepherd king. He reigns over your heart, your mind, your body, uh, your soul. Even your relationships are governed by God as Lord. This is what King David is expressing to us when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's a profound idea to start to unpack. Last Sunday, we took it a step further and kind of waded in a little further where David was talking about what it looks like to find satisfaction in God. And so we all have circumstances in our life that are overwhelming that like we would change our circumstances if we could and everybody has like something there, right? Our relationships, even our enemies. Uh, sometimes it's our life and our health. We find dissatisfaction across the spectrum of our lives, kind of like by default. But what David was saying to us last week was that no matter what circumstance or relationship or God supplies exactly what is needed. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. The apostle Paul called that the secret to contentment, but I have what I need. God lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He is renewing my life through this relationship. See, I don't think religion always renews. Sometimes it leaves you kind of like sapped, maybe bored or hungry or thirsty and like void of spiritual reality. Maybe you have a form of godliness, but there's no power. And like, that's not what we're talking about. To walk with God as Lord and Savior to let him satisfy us doesn't mean everything in our life is perfect, but it's full because God is filling us. This is David. That's why I wanted us to, to land on this Psalm 23. We read it sometimes very quickly. We don't contemplate the power of what's being held out to us. Now, obviously, this is 4th of July weekend, and this weekend we celebrate our freedom as an American people. And if there is one value, if there is one core tenet that is baked into our nation's psyche more than anything else, it's this idea that we need to be sovereign over our own lives, sovereign over our own destiny. And, and freedom is what sets us apart as a nation, as a people, even as a Christian people. And there's freedom around the world at different levels, but freedom is a non-negotiable for, for every person in this room, everybody thinks this way. Now, I went to Google, and I Googled American freedoms. And Google, uh, it was interesting, they mentioned the First Amendment freedoms only. And I went to several, I was like, okay, uh, I went to several places, and I noticed that most everything that comes back in search results only mentions First Amendment freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, uh, freedom to assemble for protest, uh, the right to petition the government, First Amendment freedoms. 
Google doesn't mention other freedoms, maybe because it's uncomfortable with the idea of other freedoms. It doesn't mention, for example, the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. And so I got to thinking about this, that as a general rule, we love the idea of freedom, every single one of us. We embrace the ideal of freedom in principle. But where we become sharply divided is in the practice of freedom. It's in the practical kind of application and outworkings of freedom. Because as we're exercising freedom, sometimes in the exercise of our freedom, other people might feel that they're being tread upon in their freedoms. And so we become sharply divided very quick. Freedom, yes, but then the devil's in the details. Now let me use an illustration. Let me put you at ease. Uh, we're not going to step in a big cow pie this morning and have stuff all over our foot, you know, and wade into some kind of a, a, a debate that can't be resolved uh, in 30 minutes or anything like that. But let me just use an example uh, of freedom versus its application and how we become sharply divided. Take the Second Amendment, for example. In the last several weeks, there is uh, some rulings related to the Second Amendment. And uh, I'm not here to defend or not defend it. I'm just using it as an example. Does a person have a right in their freedom to keep arms? And if so, for what purpose? For hunting? Uh, what about for self-defense uh, on their persons? What about for home defense? What about for some Red Dawn, Russia, China invasion scenario? When I was a little kid, when we first got our first VCR, one of the first movies we watched, and I was little, it was Red Dawn, and, you know, the kids are sitting in the classroom and the parachutes and the Russians are coming, and that's what the movie's about. So anyway, it's a very formative movie for a young man. Uh, but can we have arms because there might be some Red Dawn scenario that's coming? There was a huge poll, a, a research project done about American attitudes towards firearms. And 30-plus percent of Americans, regardless of whether you're liberal, conservative, whatever, believe that a weapon is warranted uh, uh, to potentially restrain your own government. And, and, and not just warranted, but that it's a likely scenario that we're going to have to use firearms in our lifetime to restrain government. And it's a shocking statistic and study. If, if uh, everyone is permitted to have that freedom, with what lethality of weaponry should a person be allowed to have? And who should be able to do that? And when should a person maybe be restricted or prohibited or red flagged in the exercise of that freedom? And if they do have those arms and that freedom, should it be concealed? Should it, they be allowed to openly display it? And, and if so, in what places? And, but the biggest question is, is there a point where freedom becomes too costly, the Granting of freedom, the exercise of freedom becomes too costly to justify. The risks are too great to allow that thing any longer. Now, you can make a lot of friends bringing up these issues. And uh, you can attract a lot of people to your church if you want to, you know, step into this stuff. But these questions aren't going away anytime soon. These kinds of issues aren't going away anytime soon. And they're going to continue to heat up and bake up and so forth. Now... I'm illustrating for you that the idea of freedom, that we should be free, is one thing. But then what about the practice of it in the application and 
the implications of, of a freedom. Oh, that's where we need an awful lot of wisdom and help and guidance. Now, just a few weeks ago, we're just going to get all this out of our system. The Supreme Court, they overturned Roe versus Wade. And so for the time being, abortion is no longer a federal matter alone, but it's a state matter primarily. But in Illinois, nothing changes in Illinois. In regard to abortion, if you look into it, we have some of the most liberal, permissive laws, not just in the United States, but like literally in the world. We are the most permissive and freedom grant in regards to that decision of any place on this earth. And so the idea, obviously, is that a woman ought to have total sovereignty. That if you're a woman, you can kind of like be your own God, not just of, of your flesh, but of any flesh within you. That you're sovereign over your body and your life. Now, some states have tighter laws. But you see that there's a, a, our, our state is tilted toward the freedom side of that, of granting freedom, of granting sovereignty. And that's the reality of, of our state and our land. But here again, we are, in regards to freedom, sharply divided. And it's not just people out there in the culture, but people within the church that are sharply divided on these matters. Should a woman have that kind of sovereignty over her own body, including the right to terminate any life in her womb? And if so, under what circumstances? What circumstances should apply and which ones may not be relevant or necessary? Rape, incest. What if it's a hardship on the mother? What if it's a hardship on society or the medical community that a baby is born? What if it's just the whim of the mother? She just doesn't desire to have a baby at that time and place. And, and are there certain authorities that should concur with a woman in her right to do this or that? Federal authority? A state authority, maybe a school authority if it's a younger person, a medical authority, should a medical authority be necessary as part of that equation? Parental authorities, again, if it's a younger person, does mom or dad need to be notified? All these questions, what about the biological father? Should he have any rights or say or waiting in that equation? At what point should a baby have a right to life? From conception at so many weeks? when he or she has a heartbeat, uh, when that child has a certain level of brain activity, when that child may be viable outside the womb, able to live apart from the womb. Now, I want you to step back, and I'm just talking about this principle of freedom for a moment. I want you to step back for a moment. Again, we live in Illinois. Uh, some of you are like, for now I do, you know, but, uh, you know, that's how everybody you talk to these days. But I'm a missionary in Illinois at the very least, right? So come on. I'm staying. But we live in Illinois, and so I, I'm just reflecting on things in Illinois for a moment. I want you to think about the last couple of decades. Some of you are like, I'm too young to do that, but it, most of you can do it. Gambling was illegal. Gambling was illegal, but now it's permitted. And it's everywhere in, like, the corners of just about every place you would eat out at. And it's a revenue stream for our government. It's been em embraced by certain drugs were illegal. And, you know, there's debates and, you know, I'm not getting into the debate side. I'm just saying that there are certain things that were illegal, but now their cell is a revenue engine for our state. And it's like pedal to the metal, gas. We're, we're, we're going into that, right? 
it was just a decade, or over the last several decades, there were many laws related to things like divorce or sodomy or gay marriage that were loosened. Crime is increasingly being treated not as a moral thing, but more as a sickness. It's not a moral offense. Uh, the sick people, they don't need incarceration. They need treatment. And so there's a radically different conception of right and wrong, of criminal activity, of will, of intent, of all these different things. And so uh, there's a social justice thing that if a person's committing a crime, it's probably because of a social justice inequity, that they grew up in an environment that was unjust and that, uh, that they shouldn't be penalized for whatever they've chosen. So there's a, a movement to release criminals, a bail reform movement, to release criminals back out onto the streets, to, to give them their freedom back and, and to not hold things beyond their control or pressures or this, that, or the other against them. I'm just giving you many different examples here that previous generations, they tilted toward restraining freedoms in some of these different topics that we're mentioning. Our present generation is literally, not just metaphorically, but literally throwing off restraint. And so we truly live in a day where all things are becoming permissible. And the reality of the society that we live in is that our society at large, our peers, even amongst ourselves, we would rather err on the side of granting greater freedom than suggesting any kind of restraint. That is the moral makeup, the fabric, the reality of the time in which we live and the place in which we find ourselves. Erring on the side of greater freedom, not restraint and restriction. Now, this is not a political tirade, so I'm not going to follow that statement with a political tirade. What does all this have to do with King David? We're in Psalm 23. We're applying these verses and going phrase by phrase. And What does this have to do with King David? It's really pretty simple. If you are a king, what regulates you? Uh, is there anyone or anything over you if you're a king? Uh, is there any authority above you? If you are a king, you can do as you please. You can set even laws and policies in the land according to your own whims. If you're a king, you can even say, this is what truth is, this is what truth isn't. You can do whatever you want, whether it's moral or immoral. You can live and act with seeming impunity if you're a king. But here's what I want you to call attention to, and I, I don't know if we realize what a radical paradigm shift even Psalm 23 is. In Psalm 23.3, David says of God, he's a king, he's a shepherd, David is, but he says, you know, God leads me along the right path for his name's sake. I just want you to let that sink in for a moment, just absorb that. He leads me along right paths for his glory, for his honor, for his kingdom, for his name's sake. It's such a simple declaration, and yet it's so profound and transformative and vital. And I think this statement is indicative of what it looks like when the heart, the needle of a person's heart moves. And I'm not interested in, in moving political needles. And if you're new to Lakeside, if you're coming here, I'm not interested in moving political needles. Not to say that they don't have great consequence, 
or that they're not important. But what we're doing here and what God's inviting us is to have, is to move our heart needle. To look to God for him to be king. To look to God and say, lead me into the right path. And, and lead me into something that is for your glory and for your honor. Now, I'm resigned, as I'm sure you are, that we're completely free people. That's, that's not a bad thing by any stretch. Don't hear that. But you are completely sovereign to yourself. And even young people, for the most part, are sovereign to themselves. As a parent, you're sovereign over yourself, and you can do with yourself and your family as you please. Now, parental rights are probably being pressured, maybe even stripped away to a degree, because people, if you're a parent, they have an opinion about your kids and what you should or shouldn't be teaching your kids. And so sometimes you don't always have a lot of rights as a parent these days, but that's another conversation. But for all practical purposes, you can be your own man, you can be your own woman, you can be your own ruler or king or lord. Nobody is going to stand in your way. Not laws, not old restraints, not carrots and sticks, hardly anymore. You'd be hard-pressed even to find churches that would stand in your path and rebuke you or engage in some church discipline process. Everything is affirmed. If you're looking for affirmation, there is a church that will tickle your ears in whatever it is that you want to be encouraged in. But the question for us this 4th of July isn't about freedom. It's about your heart and my heart. Given total freedom, which, by the way, God gave us total freedom, but he also gave us total responsibility with that. You know that. But given total freedom, given this kind of like total free agency, given total sovereignty to do as you're pleased, fine, Nobody is going to tread on you. No one's going to stand in your way. Granted this freedom. Do you use your freedom as a cover-up for evil or to serve God? Now, there's no question about what King David is saying in Psalm 23. He could be and was, he may be a king, but it's king with a lowercase k. And for him, God is shepherd and Lord. God is the great shepherd and great capital K king. And there may be a right, this, a way that seems right to a person for this reason or that reason. And boy, if you want to wade in and, and, and debate that with folks, you know, oh my gosh. Again, it's like stepping into a cow pie. You know, you're just going to, you, you get into that, you're not going to get out of it and be clean. Like it's just going to be, there's a way that seems right to a person. And people are very vested in justifying this way or that way, or they're thinking on any number of issues that I've touched upon this morning. But in the end, these ways lead to death. For David, his prayer is, Lord, lead me in right paths. Lead me into those things that renew. Lead me into those things that bring glory and honor to your name. This is a radically different heart that we're talking about than the heart of many religious people even today. There's an incredible verse in Psalm 29:18 that describes our day. 
It says, without revelation, people run wild. But the one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Now, this is a true picture of the choice that's before us in our freedom this 4th of July. Uh, Everyone runs wild. Everyone does what he or she pleases. Everyone does what seems right to them. Everyone is a law unto himself, herself, themselves, itself, whatever. Like, I can't even keep track of all this stuff anymore. I don't think, though, that people are getting happier. That people are finding more joy and peace with this freedom that they're claiming. And again, I'm not anti-freedom by any means, but I don't think, though, that people are becoming actually more free even in claiming greater freedom. Not spiritually anyway. Politically maybe, but not spiritually. People are actually becoming more enslaved to their passions, their desires, their cravings, their whims, enslaved to sin as a principle, to their own shame, to greater pain and regret, to very real consequences. But with revelation, with divine instruction... There's much happiness to be found. I can tell you that there are many religious people today, even in this room, that have jettisoned divine instruction as a key to happiness in their life and have chosen instead. But David is saying, Lord, lead me in the right paths. Our prayer ought to be, I think, first of all, this 4th of July, I think our prayer ought to be, Lord, Be my king, capital K, king. Be my Lord, be my shepherd. But then secondly, I think our prayer ought to be, Lord, like guide me through this moral malaise and and truly lead me and show me the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you're looking for a way, I'm the way. If you're looking for truth, there is truth. And I embody that truth before you. If you're looking for life, joy, peace, happiness, however you want to frame it, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. I think that's what we're really looking for, isn't it? The light of life. That, that, that person, that thing that will lead us and, and, and reign over us and, and govern us, but in an ever-increasing, joyful, peaceful, life-giving kind of dynamic. And, and David's saying, that's my Lord. That's what he does for me. He's not just a Lord. He doesn't just satisfy me. He renews my life. He leads me in the right path, into happiness, and he's doing it while honoring his glory and his holy name. It's a Nice little package deal, wouldn't you agree? What's the key to life? Is it just freedom in and of itself? Is, is the key to, free, is the key to uh, life throwing off all restraint? Well, we're throwing off the restraints. How's your life? Uh, is the key to life, uh, is the secret to satisfaction, is it you being capital K king, or is it maybe enthroning Christ as Lord and shepherd of your life? Is the key to life asking what's right in my eyes? 
Or is it the eyes of my friends or my parents or my political party or establishment? Or, or is it what's right in the eyes of the Lord? Is the key to life not asking, how does this thing that I want to say or do or, like, how does this bring honor to a good and holy God? A lot of religious people will embrace a savior framework. God is my savior. He saves me. He gives me eternal life. I don't see very many Christians embracing a lordship framework, a Davidic framework. And that's why I wanted to land on this. He leads me. He leads me in the right path. What love and joy and peace might we find if we were to begin seeking God's kingdom and righteousness and his glory as a first principle, if we were to give our heart to God, you know, freedom's not unimportant. I mean, God, he made us free so that when he won us over, he, he, he would know that he really has us because we are truly free and fully responsible. Freedom's not the issue. What the issue is is the heart. And is serving God and seeking his kingdom and righteousness a kind of first principle or is it an afterthought? I elevate seeking God's kingdom and righteousness even over the principle of freedom. But freedom might be, a, that might be number two. It's real close. But seeking his kingdom and righteousness is the guiding principle. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that we chase in life, food, clothing, uh, uh, all the stuff he lists, you know, and we get very anxious and worried and desperate and, and we're grabbing and grasping after all these things. We're trying to find happiness and satisfaction, but we're, we're finding ourselves more empty and void. And, and he says, you know, if you were to seek his kingdom and righteousness, you'd be full. All these things would be added onto you. So this 4th of July, what is our heart posture, right, before God? I see that there's a lot of different things that weigh in in these conversations that we have in our culture about so many different things, even in our church and our family around the dinner table. But what often doesn't get weighed is what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? What is going to honor God in this thing? What is his voice in this matter? And so may God speak and may we listen and, and find that instruction and guidance through this moral, uh, this tumultuous moral landscape in which we uh, find ourselves this 4th of July. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, we thank you for David. We thank you for Christ, the invitation to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We thank you for David's testimony that he did it and his life was renewed through it. May we consider an alternative to what is held out to us today. May we consider what it would look like for you to be Lord of our life. Not just Savior, but Lord, Guider, King, Shepherd, our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.